This week's episode of The Overwhelmed Brain is brought to you by the power of positive thinking. <laughs> Just kidding. Are you annoyed by affirmations? Isn't it even more annoying when someone reframes a terrible moment at a terrible time? Oh no, I got a flat tire. I'm so late for my first day on the job. Think positively. If they really care about you as their new employee, they'll wait for you and understand completely why you're late. You don't understand. It took me three interviews to get this job. Now here I am stuck on the side of the road. <laughs> you are so negative. Just have one of your servants call for a limo and pick you up. I don't have servants. <laughs> then don't. It's not my fault that you're always so negative. Just last night when I went to my third massage appointment for the day, I was telling my masseuse how you are always upset. In fact, I've never seen you in a good mood. Oh, really? Well, I'm actually in a great mood about 95% of the time, and only 5% of the time I'm in a bad mood. Huh, so change that 5% to zero. And soon you'll be thinking positively. Well, that should be easy because 5% of the time I'm with you. All I have to do is change who I'm with during that time and I know I'll be happy naturally. Oh, you see? Now you got it. Whoever you're with during that 5% is what's causing your frustrations. Now let's go over who might be doing that to you. Is it your brother? No, it's you. <laughs> yes, yes, it's me that has to help you figure this out. You're totally right. So, is it your wife? No, you're the one who- Yes, I know! I'm the one who's going to help you think positively! How about that friend Charlie? Uh, you're not listening! To everything you're saying! You're right, I am listening to everything you're saying! And I'm here to help you figure this out! <sighs> you're always so negative! If affirmations feel like lies and positive thinking feels like denial, then get ready to start creating the life you've always wanted now! Hello, this is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain, the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. And if you're here to learn more common sense tips for improving your life, well, let's just say I'm trying to invent new common sense so that the tools and suggestions that I talk about in the show come more naturally instead of from a place of, what did Paul tell me to do? <laughs> I want that to be natural to you. I want you to have the ability to reach into your toolbox and grab anything you need at any time. So the more you listen to this show, the more that happens because I end up talking directly to your subconscious mind sometimes. And because of that, you end up learning things that you don't even realize you're learning. No, I'm not slipping any subliminal messages in there or anything. You are getting smarter. But what I am doing is giving you a direct path to uncommon sense that's going to grow like a flower in your mind and help you learn, heal, grow, and evolve. And it's true, this is a place of uncommon sense. This is a place where I share with you things that are sometimes the opposite of what you can learn anywhere else. Sometimes the opposite of what you've read. Uh, like some of the episodes I've had, especially on anxiety, it just seems like when you look up anxiety 
on the internet and you see all these steps to heal or diminish or decrease your anxiety, you see all these things like meditation, breathing, thinking positively, and all these other very common, very common steps. And you go, I don't want to read another article on the same steps over and over again. I don't want to read or watch another video that tells me to do the same things that other videos have done. I don't want to hear from another teacher that tells me the exact same thing over and over again. When I created this show, one of the first things I wanted to do is test theories. Test things that were opposite of what people told me to do. So if I ever felt anxious, if I ever felt fear, if I ever felt um, old emotional baggage, old pain from the past, uh, what would happen if I didn't do what they said and I did the opposite? <laughs> and, and some tools have come out of this in this very show that have led myself to some healing and growth. So I passed those on to you. But I really love discovering tools that way because it's new to your brain. And when something is new to your brain, new information gets treated differently and uh, processed differently and you behave differently. And even if you don't like the result that you get from trying something different, you still end up doing something different or thinking differently than you had before. This is why when you get uh, the overgeneralized examples that are spread across the world right now and easy to access form of, on the internet, uh, like all the examples I gave you with anxiety, just breathe, <laughs> just meditate. They, those things do work and they can work and they can be very helpful. But when you read them over and over and over again, they're no longer new to the brain. They're just information. It just doesn't apply as effectively as it used to. I mean, that's not always the case, but you know what I'm saying? It's like if you read the same things over and over again, how are you going to change behavior? If you eat the same thing every day, if you watch the exact same TV show every day, and I'm not talking about new episodes, I'm talking about the same episode every day. If you listen to the same episode of this show every day, eventually you're going to be desensitized to the information, to the tools, especially if you're not applying the tools at all. If you're just listening going, okay, I'll, I'll breathe, but you don't breathe. <laughs> or, okay, I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes, and you don't meditate. But you're thinking about meditating, which, you know, can be helpful in itself, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, thinking about meditating, like I'm going to meditate. What would, what would meditating be like? Let me think about that. That's actually a meditation. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying is that once you are overexposed to information, then that information can just be generalized in your mind and not have as much meaning as it once did. So that's what I like about um, what I started to do on this show from a very early episode is just starting to do in my own life the opposite of what was being said out there just to see what would happen. Like thinking positively. Okay, what would happen if I thought negatively? Oh, that, that doesn't feel very good. Well, what if I, what would happen if I thought even more negatively and I made it worse and I made it worse? And then soon I came up with a worst case scenario. It's like, okay, what would happen if I thought about the very worst thing that could possibly happen in my life? And I, and I had all these scenes pop in my head and it was so 
devastating. It was awful. I didn't want to go there. But that was the secret to getting past some of the fears I had, some of the anxiety I had, is to go past the point of your fears. Like, my fears would stop at a certain point. Like, what if my bank account said zero? Oh my God, that's awful. I never want to think beyond that. But what if it said zero and I was living on the street? What if it said zero and I uh, had creditors calling me? I guess that wouldn't matter if I was living on the street. But what if it said zero and I was hungry? Oh my God, that would be awful. What if it said zero and I was hungry for a week? And I hadn't eaten and I had to eat tree bark. You know, this that's kind of sad, but you know what I'm saying is that it could get worse and worse. What if it says zero and the people I loved in my life were all dead? I mean, that's really extreme. And I'm I'm really taking it to a point where I don't want to take it. That's because my brain doesn't want to go there. Our brains don't want to go to the worst case scenario. Our brains don't want to go in the opposite direction that we're told. We want to go on the path, path of least resistance. We want to take that path that is easy. Like, oh, just breathe. Oh, just think of positive thoughts. I know that sometimes it's not very easy, but it's a lot easier than thinking of worse things that could happen. Just uh, meditate. That's easier than having to think of how bad it could get. So I was like, what would happen if it did get worse? And what would happen if it got worse than that? And what would happen? And I kept going and, and going further and further until I couldn't take it anymore. And if you've listened to my episode where I talk about the worst case scenario, the point where it's so bad that you just can't take it anymore, you're, you're going to pop. <laughs> you're going to get to a point where you go, I can't take it. I can't, I can't do this anymore. And then you're going to come back to a state of equilibrium and go, okay, okay, I'm back. Now, all this stuff isn't real, but uh, how do I feel about the original thing that I feared? How do I feel about the original thing that I was anxious about? And you think about it and you go, wow. Well, I guess it's not as bad as the people I love being dead. I guess it's not as bad as me being homeless and hungry. And I guess it's not as bad as all these other thoughts that I brought into my mind. And, and suddenly you feel different. I'm not saying this works every time in every case, but... Boy, when you take yourself to an extreme low, extreme pain, then all the pain and all the hurt and all those nasty negative feelings that you had before that don't seem so nasty anymore, don't seem so powerful. They don't have as much impact as they once did because you chose to go as deep as you could possibly go. And when I first tried that on, so I like to call it trying something on. When I first tried that on, I was like, wow, this has value. I have to share this. This this has value. But my first thought is, I can't share this with the world. <laughs> Somebody's going to do it and have a heart attack. But that's why I say, okay, do this at your own risk. <laughs> and also find a safe place. Find a safe place, not only in your mind, but in your environment. I mean, that safe place could be a something as simple as the bathroom where you have quiet time or in your car or in a park or in a room that nobody goes in. Just find that safe place in your environment and also in your mind because when you go to these places in your mind, you need a safe place to return to in your mind. 
And what I mean by that is if, if I go there right now and I think of a, a safe place in my mind, I picture a field next to a stream and I hear some birds in the background and maybe a slight breeze and the sun is shining and it feels good to me. And I feel like this is safe. And if I want, I could put someone there that I feel safe with. And I can see my mom and I can see my girlfriend. And (laughs) I'm almost sounding like a a Wizard of Oz scenario. (laughs) But you get the idea. It's like I'm building this safe place in my mind. That's my my happy place, (laughs) my safe zone. So that when I go to these places in my mind, and I'm talking to you now, when you go to these places in your mind, if you choose to take that, for example, that worst case scenario uh, exercise, if you choose to do that, you definitely want this safe place to return to because things can get pretty hairy if you go in these directions. You need that safe place in your mind. And what you do is create it. Could be the beach for you. It could be with certain people in your life. Could be in a field like it was for me. Could be in a house that you feel comfortable in. Wherever it is for you. Could be on the International Space Station. (laughs) Away from everything. Wherever it is for you is right for you. So create that safe place in your mind. Even if you don't do some of the exercises I talk about. Because it certainly is nice just to have that place to return to. Just in case things go badly just in case things don't turn out the way you want them to turn out. And now you're starting to freak out or get panicky or get that yucky anxiety feeling. Where's that safe place? Make sure you have that in your mind because your brain really won't know if it's real or not. I mean, when you imagine, I mean, that's kind of a silly thing to say, and that's something that (laughs) you hear over and over again because it's been used over and over again. Your brain doesn't brain can't tell the difference between reality what's real and what's not well it it really can (laughs) but your body gets feelings and emotions that when you imagine something nice something relaxing something comfortable something peaceful your body feels it your body actually responds to what you're imagining so that's what probably people mean when they say they the brain can't tell the difference between something real and something that's not It's how you feel. It's what your body does in response to what you're imagining. So that's just something I want you to do is just have a safe place no matter what. Because if strife ever comes your way, (laughs) and it will always come your way, then you want to have a place to return to. And also in your environment too. It's nice to have that safe place in your environment. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you're In a situation where there is no place that you can go. That's why I say sometimes the bathroom (laughs) is an alternative. But if you do have a room, a place, a park, a car, wherever you go. So that you can be with yourself. And only yourself. So that you can process some of the stuff that goes on in life. And you don't have to meditate. Although sometimes it's nice. Because meditation gives the brain a break from thinking so much. And I know you're like, yeah, but I'm thinking all the time, even when I try to meditate. Allow it. Don't resist it. Meditation, for me, means uh, letting whatever happens happen without resistance. 
I mean, that's, that's really all it is to me. Let, let whatever happens happen without resistance. And then ask yourself the question, hey, can I blank my mind for a second? Can I think of absolutely nothing for five seconds? Hey, I just did it. I thought of absolutely nothing for five seconds. Can I do it for 10 seconds? Oh, <laughs> I reached seven seconds and then I thought of that thing. Well, oh wait, I can't put myself down because that's resistance. Okay, just allow it to happen. Great. Well, I don't like the way that feels. That's okay. I still have my safe place inside of me. And on and on and on and on. So I just wanted to share with you one of the philosophies of this show, which is sometimes you got to try the opposite of what you're told because you know, some people like to repackage information and say, this is how you do it because I read it in a book. This is how you do it because this other person said it. And those things are just spread around throughout the years, throughout the world, and you've heard it or read it or, or have seen it over and over and over again. And your brain's like, well, that's nothing new. So it doesn't give it any meaning. It doesn't give it any importance. So twist it. <laughs> Turn it around in your mind and just ask, what would happen if I did the opposite? Give it a shot. Just make sure you have that safe place to go back to. But let's get to our first segment. Well, I guess that was our first segment. Let's get to our second segment called Ask Paul. And uh, I'm just going to tell you up front that this is a relationship letter. And up to now, this is episode 140 in case you're counting, (laughs) up to now, I have been kind of lenient regarding uh, being fully accepting of certain people and their behaviors. It's kind of like when somebody does something that I may not agree with, I'll still be lenient with them. Like I've talked with people whose partners in life or spouses do bad behavior. One of my coaching clients could be with someone that just does bad behavior and continues to do it, yet my client tolerates it. And, you know, I could say, wow, that jerk, (laughs) why don't you leave that jerk? But I can't let my judgments guide my coaching and alter my ability to see things objectively. I can't do that because I can't internalize what's happening. I can't say, wow, if that person was in my life, this is what I would do because it's not my situation. I I don't have their history. I don't have their connection, their communication style. I have to uh, come at it from a very fresh, very open mind and very non-judgmental, no matter how bad it might be in my life because I have a different reference and different bias and different ideas on what bad is. So no matter how bad something might might sound to me, I don't internalize it and go, wow, that's a bad person. I go, okay, their behavior is affecting you. How? So I, I, I try not to judge or put bias on anything. But this episode, and this is the reason I'm telling you this, this episode is going to be a little different. I'm going to be a little bit more judgmental on a certain type of behavior that I find sometimes ruins relationships. Uh, A certain type of behavior that sometimes um, keeps people where they are instead of getting to a place of healing and growth and and to a better place in themselves. And the past that I'm giving myself to do this is because the type of person I'll be talking about is who I used to be. So 
there's there's my free pass. <laughs> I get to talk about this person in this episode because of who I used to be. So when you hear me get a little harsh on someone, on the personality that I'm going to be talking about, remember it's from firsthand experience and from who I used to be into the person I've become and feel better about today. And if you know me well, you know that everything I say, I do out of love and respect for you and wanting you to be in a better place in yourself because you'll hear me comment and use some tough love, but it's all for you to be in a better place in you. Unless you're perfectly happy (laughs) being in that dysfunctional place. So just wanted to put that out there as we get into the Ask Paul segment. So let's not waste any more time. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. And I have a little surprise. Asha is back. Asha with Get Out of the Mess. She's the person who guides us through some of the challenges in life regarding some of the legal troubles that we can get into. And uh, she helps us get out of them by connecting with a service called Legal Shield. Legal Shield is that monthly service that you can pay for, sort of like legal insurance. Uh, and it's really, really crazy and expensive. We're talking $20 a month for individual, if, if even that. And what you get is worth literally thousands and thousands of dollars. In any other situation, if you spent an hour with an attorney, you would pay $250 or more. But with Legal Shield, you're paying $20 a month to call them anytime you need them for legal advice or legal information. And they do a lot of stuff. So Asha's back and I want to let her talk because it's been a while. <laughs> we just haven't been able to coordinate schedules, but I'm so glad she's back on the show. Let's have Asha come in here and tell us about this legal service and how it can benefit you in your life. Asha, take it away. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be back. I've been gone because I have a special project that I've been working on that Paul knows about. And I'm hoping that I can get him to share that with you in a couple months as we get closer and closer to the finish line. But we'll leave that as a teaser surprise. Right now, I do want to talk to you about Legal Shield for just a minute. Um, one of the calls that I had today really made me focus on a topic that I don't talk much about, which is uncontested divorce. So what does that mean? That means a divorce where both parties are in agreement. It's just not working. They need to be done. They have no problems with sharing of assets, debts, whatever. They're happy to come up with a good legal agreement and just sign on the line. Uncontested divorce through this service is free after a 90-day waiting period. So you sign up for the service, you get the family plan because you're both, you know, you're benefiting from the service. And 90 days later, you can go in and you can get help with paperwork to just sign on the line, show them what you guys agree to, and be done with it. I spent thousands on my divorce, like lots and lots of money because it was not uncontested. And I know a lot of people that still spend, um, you know, two, three thousand dollars on an uncontested divorce, which is completely unnecessary. So 
if that's the situation that you're in and you want legal help instead of trying to figure out how to do it yourself, you know, for $20 a month, plus or minus, you can have that available to you and know that it's done right and everybody be at peace, make life simple. And as the time progresses, you know, more and more things pop up. Use the service. If you already have it, use it because you're going to find out that it's a lot more beneficial than you're realizing as you go through each month. Thank you so much, Asha. How can they reach you if they want to learn more about this service? You can reach me at getoutofthemess.com. There's a form there where you can say contact Asha um, or my phone number is right at the top, 678-355-8777. Okay, welcome back to segment two. Ask Paul. This is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to help them through a challenge or two or three or four. (laughs) Let's read the email that I have right in front of me, which is this. Paul, hello. Hi. (laughs) First, I want to start by saying that I am probably your biggest fan. Uh, You might be, but there's a lot of competition out there. (laughs) I discovered your podcast a few months ago, and I have listened to as many as I can. I never realized how much it helps to hear someone else discuss their issues out loud and work through them. I have related to so many of your topics. Secondly, I want to share my issue to see if you could possibly shed some light on it. So, I'm in my 30s, single, and have a daughter in high school that I have raised 100% on my own. I have felt so blessed in my life for all the gifts God has given to me. However, there is a huge void in my life. I want deep down in my heart to be a wife. I want to be a mother again. I know that I'm not getting any younger. I have been in several relationships in the past couple of years, and I will say that none of them have been very special or long-term. A few years ago, I was in a relationship, and I fell completely in love. I felt like that man was the right one for me. He treated my daughter like his own, and we seemed like a real family, and we had plans to marry at some point. After about another year, he got offered a job almost three hours away, and he was gone within a few days. He never really explained why or showed any sadness about leaving. He started a new life without us. After he left, it seemed like he never even met us. He never looked back once. This hurt me to the core. I got really sick. I stopped eating, and I fell into a depression. It took a while to get out of that funk that I was in. Now, fast forward years later, and I still think about him. I still feel extremely happy whenever I think about him and the way that we were all together. I don't know if I think about him because I've not met anyone else worth investing time into or if I'm just not truly over him. I can honestly say that I was the most happy in my life when I was with him. I loved nothing more than to get off work and make dinner for our family or to go out as a family to different places. It was everything. I miss all of it. I have tried to be the girl that can take care of herself. I went to school and I got several degrees. I have a job and I do another business on the side. I own my car and my house and I take great care of my daughter. I'm doing well in almost every area of my life. I'm telling you this because I don't ever look for a man to take care of us. If anything, I long to take care of him. I long to be the person that someone looks forward to seeing when they get off work. 
I'm just not sure why I can't seem to meet a nice, decent man. I don't consider myself to be bad looking. In fact, I think I'm cute. I get compliments all the time and I feel like that I really take good care of myself and my appearance. Is there something that I'm missing? I've looked online but got scammed out of money for a trial period in which I got charged for. Then I couldn't use the account and I got upset and I I just never tried that again. I live in a small retirement town and I know it's hard to meet younger men. I don't know or I can't determine if the way I feel is because of the pain from the past or because I'm having a hard time meeting anyone now. When I do see a guy that looks my type, I don't say anything. I never know what to say. I don't know what to do because I feel that while I could accept being single forever, it would be pretty close to a death sentence since I'm a hopeless romantic by heart. I would love family, but I don't know how to obtain that. I see all of the people my age that are married and having second and third kids now. So, can you give me some advice? Dealing with childhood abandonment and the fact that I was dropped off at a hospital to give birth to raise my daughter alone, to now the past broken relationship, I feel unlovable. I feel that all my friends have something that I never will. I pray about it, but I don't know if anything will ever change. Please share your opinions. Thank you. Your biggest fan. All right, thank you so much for writing that, and I appreciate that you are my biggest fan. (laughs) Um, Now, let me call you Christine, because I have to call you something besides your biggest fan. (laughs) Uh, Christine, now, you're in a situation that um, I've been in, uh, kind of on the opposite end, though, where my first relationship of 13 years, the girl I was with fell out of love with me about two years before we actually broke up. And when the end finally came, because I had to squeeze out of her, like, what was wrong? Like, there's something wrong in this relationship. We haven't had sex in a year. What's the problem? When I finally got the truth out of her, she said she was no longer in love with me. And it shocked me. I was like, what? (laughs) But, you know, I didn't see the signs. I was very young. And I didn't know what the end of a long-term relationship was supposed to be like. But it's the truth. She fell out of love with me. She she said she didn't love me the way she should. And um, I asked her, well, what does that mean? Does that mean it's the end or what? And she goes, I don't know. So that night, I slept on the couch for the first time. And then when I woke up the next morning, she was gone. That was it. <laughs> she disappeared. I mean, she didn't disappear. I knew I knew where she went because she said, I'm at my friend's house and I'm going to stay here for a while and figure things out. But she never returned and uh, she suddenly became happier. And I was like, here I am going down this vortex of misery, downward spiral of darkness, and she's happier. And I feel alone, unwanted, unloved. I was in despair and I was getting more depressed than I had already been because the decline of our relationship had already started and there were signs that I only saw in hindsight. And as the relationship came to its end, I was becoming more and more depressed because I was repressing a lot of what I wanted to express to her during the relationship. 
last two years of the relationship, the sex declined, the um, communication declined, and everything became very, very routine. I mean, we're talking down to when we went to bed, she always laid in the same position so I couldn't get close to her. It was very routine. She gave me her, her robotic three kisses and a good night, and that was it. And um, we went to work during the week, so we didn't see each other most of the time until the nighttime. And I just kept swallowing my uh, anger. And uh, you know, I was getting angry because I didn't know what was happening. And I was also feeling unloved and unwanted. And I, w- I had a, a very high need to be loved. I had a very high need to be wanted. I know a lot of us do, but there's the point where it becomes uh, more of a dysfunctional desperation than just enjoying being loved. And uh, having that dysfunctional desperation to wanting to be loved, as you've probably heard me say before, puts a lot of pressure on the other person. I want you to love me so much. I want to be loved so much. And then the other person comes in your life and you're like, yes, I'm loved. Thank you so much. And in the beginning, they love it too because it's all new and fresh and you're beginning to, to know each other and you still haven't settled down. You're still in that wonderful honeymoon discovery period and you start to settle down and then um, you're hoping to reach a nice point where it's a more balanced place where you don't have such the need to be loved anymore, to be wanted, and such the need to hear the words, I love you all the time, like I did. I mean, I did for 13 years. I was always wanting to hear those words, and I I would say them just to hear them back. Just echo these words back to me, I love you. Or (laughs) with a question, I love you, (laughs) and then waiting for that I love you back. And of course, I'm waiting for it. And it, it was a, a high desire to, to get attention, to be significant, to feel significant, to feel important. Because maybe I didn't get that when I was younger. And you know, certainly in, in my youth, there was uh, some neglect in some ways and certainly a lot of fear. And I definitely wanted to feel safe. And feeling safe made me feel loved. And I took that into my relationships. And so you know, you're kind of in the uh, the same spot, Christine, where you were abandoned as a child. And where's the love in abandonment? And then you were abandoned at the hospital. Where's the love in that? It, it, you, you're not getting it. I, I understand that. And I'm definitely, you know, I, I feel for you because that's hard. Because as a kid, when you need it the most, when this imprinting period where whatever happens you take with you as this imprint in your mind and your body and just like just like deep in your soul you bring it forward into the world and that's what you have to live with <laughs> so you take this molding of who you became as a child like for example when you were abandoned and you see that wow it feels like i'm not loved like i'm not wanted it feels like i'm not significant and you seek those things that you want to feel in other people. Now, here's the challenge with that. You will always find someone to fulfill those needs in you. You will always find someone that has 
the full capacity to do that for you. And they will love it because in the beginning, it's wonderful because they have been looking for someone to do that with as well. But as you settle down within six months or a year and things get to a place of normalcy where, oh good, now you feel more comfortable with each other and you're not so much seeking those needs to be fulfilled anymore, you figure out who you are when you settle down. Who are you when you settle down? Are you still seeking acknowledgement? Are you still seeking that love and support from a desperate place, from a dysfunctional place? I don't mean to put it down. I don't don't mean dysfunctional as as in bad. I just mean what didn't feel functional as a kid because you lacked the attention and you lacked the worth that you're supposed to get from your caretakers or your parents when they were not able to instill that worth in you and show you that they definitely loved loved you and supported you and wanted you to be happy and healthy when you didn't when you don't get that then it's not functional it's not a because that's a normal function of family it's supposed to be so you go into the world with dysfunction and then you seek what you didn't get in your relationships, in your family when you were younger. You seek what you didn't get in new relationships. And that puts pressure on the other person. And some people can fulfill that forever because that's how they're wired. And some people can fulfill it for a few months and then go, ah, I feel good now. We met, we connected, we feel like twin flames. We feel like spiritual soulmates and everything is wonderful okay we we can't keep this pace up because it's just so deep because we're connecting at every single level so we have to settle in a little bit you know and you just settle in a little bit month after month and then it gets ah okay now it's a bit normal you know we have to go back to work (laughs) we have to uh, do other things on the weekend but instead of staring into each other's eyes i mean it, it has to be a bit more, here's that word again, functional, has to be a bit more conventional and still maintain a level of love and nurturing and support. But you can only do that if you have healed from what you didn't get from your childhood. If if that was the case, and, and in your case, Christine, it was. You, you said that you definitely went through something when you were a child that uh, took something away from you. So where do you find that? Where do you find that? If if not in your partner, where do you find that? Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to meet someone new and they're going to fulfill you in ways that this last guy did. And eventually there's going to be a settling down period and then you're going to be more conventional, more functional and enjoying each other's presence. And if you still have those desperate needs pulling at the other person, then the breakdown will begin. Because if they're not in that place of being able to give and give and give and give, hoping that they are fulfilling you, they will eventually get worn down, really. I'm not saying this is what happened in your last relationship, but 
this is typically what happens. This is what happened in my relationship. The 13-year relationship that I just mentioned, is that's exactly what happened. My girlfriend, I was with her for 13 years, and I have a feeling that uh, five to seven years before it started ending, she was probably going, boy, this doesn't feel authentic. He doesn't say what's on his mind. He doesn't express his emotions to me. I always see him happy, and that's strange. (laughs) Believe it or not, it is strange to always see someone happy. Nothing ever bothers him. That's what she's, I'm putting words in her mind right now, in her mouth. (laughs) Nothing ever bothers him. He never said, he never gets mad at me. That's not right. And she was right. It's not right. I didn't know this at the time. I just thought I was being a nice guy. I thought if I could fulfill her every need all the time, that it would be a very healthy, happy relationship. And so I did. I kept it going and kept it going. And sometimes I was worn out. But, you know, it would be rewarding to me because there would be reciprocation. Not all the time. but And a lot of times I would be emotionally drained because I would give and give and give. And then maybe she couldn't give back exactly what I needed. But I did feel pretty comfortable in that relationship until it got near the end. Because eventually you're going to get worn down when you are with someone who's not fully authentic, who's not fully expressive, who's not saying what's on his or her mind. And they're going to get worn out too because they're always painting a picture that they think you want to see. I don't know if this happened to you, Christine, but if you were in your relationship and you got angry, did you ever express that anger? Did you ever say, wow, what you just said pissed me off? And I need to address this right now. Let's talk about this. Did that ever come out? I have a feeling the answer is no. I might be wrong. But for the most part, when you aren't able to express that way or you choose not to express that way, where does it go? You swallow it. I mean, you repress it and it stays inside of you. And so the other person never sees the real you. You know what happens when you suppress the real you? You start losing connection. Even when you want to say how angry you are at them. Because they can't tell where you are. But they can tell something is off. They can tell that something is not right. And that you're not connecting connecting at the fullest, deepest level that you can. Even when you're angry. You're connecting at a deeper emotional level. But when you never show that to your partner, when you never talk about your fears, when you don't really access the deepest part of you and express that to them, especially when you're angry at them, they never get to see the real you and that will cause them to lose some emotional connection with you little by little. That's what happened to my relationship. She kept losing that emotional connection with me because she could tell that I wasn't fully connecting with myself, let alone her. So, Christine, if you have been this person who has not been expressing fully what's going on inside of you, if you got angry at him and chose not to express it because of your fear that he might leave, then part of the disintegration of the relationship could have been because of that. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying that in a relationship, both people 
have behaviors that feed off each other. Your behavior, if you were suppressing thoughts and repressing emotions, fed into his behavior, however he reacted, and maybe he said something, maybe he didn't, which caused some breakdown. Now, I could be totally off about your relationship and maybe everything was fantastic up until the last day, but I have the feeling that he was probably starting to disconnect from you because he could not fulfill you emotionally and maybe he couldn't connect with you at an emotional level. I have a feeling that you have a huge heart and that any man would be thrilled to be with you, an independent woman raising her own kid, uh, intelligent, financially stable, any man would be thrilled to be with you. But the emotional connection is vital. And if someone feels emotionally drained at all, not because of something you're doing consciously, but because of something that you need fulfilled in you, then that will certainly break down the relationship. Now, he's just as at fault. This is where what I said in the last segment comes into play, where I'm going to be a little bit more blunt. (laughs) Because someone who walks out and doesn't say a word and doesn't look back and doesn't seem to care and it's just cold and then leaves the relationship, someone who does that, I have a certain word for them. (laughs) But this is a personal opinion. It doesn't describe everyone who does this. But if this happened to me, I would say you are a coward. Now, don't be offended if you're in this situation and you had to walk out and you did the same thing. There are multiple reasons and multiple situations that this happens. But I remember, this is, this is where I can give myself the free pass for saying this. I was a coward. I did not want to say what was on my mind. I didn't want to say that I was angry or that I had fears or that I didn't want her to do something. I didn't want to say a lot of things, so I didn't. I was scared. Yes, cowardice isn't necessarily a bad term. I was scared. I was a coward because I didn't want to face the consequences of what I had to say. What if I said something that made her leave? What if I said something that made her yell back at me? I was afraid. And the man who left you, Christine, was afraid. And my personal opinion is that he was a coward. (laughs) But I have a feeling he's going to say, yes, I was scared. I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want to hurt her. The problem with that is when you keep things in, you are hurting the other person. Even if what you're keeping in is hurtful information. Because they're in a place of stagnation. They're in that rut of not knowing what's going on because you can't cover every single little tiny thought that someone else has about you. When you're trying to paint a picture of yourself to someone else, you'll never paint the whole picture. And they'll always see that something isn't right. Something doesn't feel right. Something is just wrong. And they'll lose an emotional connection with you. It's just what happens. So why I'm telling you all this, Christine, is that, um, you know, this is a harsh truth right now. The harsh truth is that he made his decision to leave long before he left. 
It wasn't a, oh, I got a job offer. I'm leaving. It, it wasn't that. He, he was looking for an excuse or something. I hate to say that because that means that he may have lost love for you uh, earlier in the relationship. Something happened to cause a diminishing of his feelings, of his emotions. And it could have been that he just felt like he couldn't fulfill your needs. I mean, you're probably not even asking for much because some people aren't really capable of connecting with you emotionally. I have several clients that have boyfriends that have a lot of trouble connecting with their emotions. They're very analytical thinkers and they can't even think along the same wavelength as their partner. Their partner's like, I love you and I want to be with you and I feel so good when I'm with you. And their partner's like, it's great to be in this relationship and it's the perfect thing for me. I want this to work out and let's have some fun together. The first person is using feeling statements and the second person is just using more general, logical statements. One is like, I love you. Do you love me? The other one's like, of course I do. (laughs) But they don't say it. Why not? Well, some people are just uncomfortable. Some people are very uncomfortable connecting with their emotions because, you know, perhaps they were raised to not cry. Perhaps they were raised to not feel like a normal human being should feel. I, I know someone, a good friend of mine, who said she had trouble crying or laughing in front of her family. She felt embarrassed. And that when they were watching TV when she was a child, she would put a piece of paper between her face so they couldn't see and her family. So if she did laugh or if she did cry, that she wouldn't be judged for doing so. That's terrible. Imagine being judged for showing emotion. And the person she is now is wonderful, but she does handle life more analytically, logically, not so much always accessing those emotions. But I've seen them, and I know she has them. And I think she's better at showing her emotion than some emotional people. But she still has it in her. And she, she shared this with me. She still has it in there. And it's fascinating how we're raised and who we become because of how we're raised. And then we think, God, our parents did a good job, but maybe they didn't do as great a job as we thought. And, and maybe they didn't know they didn't do a good job. So there are a lot of people out there that cannot connect with their emotions. And it's mostly men. I hate to put you on the spot, guys, but a lot of guys have trouble connecting with their emotions. And, uh, you know, I started figuring this out because I held on to more of my feminine aspect than my masculine aspect. I was more nurturing and loving and caring and a very feeling person. And I could get hurt easy. I was very sensitive. And typically that my girlfriends would have a, a slightly more masculine side because I really appreciated their ability to lead and be authoritative. Not that it was a dominant, submissive relationship or anything like that, but I just appreciated that masculine energy about them because it's what I lacked. But I didn't know that's why I was attracted to some of the women that I, I was attracted to. But then I met who would be my future wife who was very feminine. And here I am, Mr. Feminine (laughs) at the time, in a relationship with her who was also feminine. And 
she was having trouble in the relationship because she couldn't be feminine because it wasn't complementing my masculinity because my masculinity was weak. It wasn't there. I hadn't embraced it. I didn't know how to. Until that one time she said, you keep answering things like you're a little boy. You keep asking questions as if I'm going to beat you or yell at you. Because I would ask questions like, is it okay if we do this? Or I would say, is it okay if I pour myself a glass of water? Or, you know, or something mundane like that. I would just ask as if I were a little boy asking his mommy. And when she pointed that out, I was, my, my brain <laughs> twisted. <laughs> I was like, what? And, and I, my mind started getting blown is what it was because I didn't realize I was doing that. And she pointed that out and I was like, whoa, that's what I'm doing? I, I didn't even know because I've been this way all my life. That's what I'm doing? So I started embracing that masculine side, that one who isn't afraid to stand up for himself. We all have both sides, uh, both aspects of ourselves, masculine and feminine. And the more you embrace the one, the more you'll complement someone else who's embracing the other in a romantic relationship. In friendships, it usually works uh, when you're on the same side. The more masculine you are, the more masculine friends you like to have around you. If you're balanced, masculine and feminine, you prefer to have friends that are masculine and feminine. That's typically how it works. Not always, but that's typically how it works. But in romantic relationships, more often than not, if you're very feminine, you want masculine. If you're very masculine, you want more feminine. And it's good to adopt those roles. Once you're comfortable in the role that you're in and they're comfortable in the role they're in, it works out nicely a lot of the time. I mean, there's other things going on, but a lot of the time it does work out nicely. But for the longest time, I hadn't embraced my masculinity. And when my wife said that and she pointed out that I was like a little boy, I started realizing, oh, so you want me to say things even if it angers you. You want me to stand up for myself even at the cost of the relationship. And that was the hardest thing to understand is that I had to say things even if the person didn't like it and might leave me. You know how hard that is? Have you ever tried to do that in a job? Hey boss, I got to tell you something. I don't like when you disrespect me in front of other employees. <laughs> how will that go over? <laughs> well, we never try it, do we? We never say that to our boss. We never say that to people that have some authority over us or uh, if we have something to lose from it because we just don't want to find out what happens. But I started finding out what happens because I started honoring that part of myself, that masculine part that says, no, damn it, I need, to, I need to honor myself here and stand up for what I believe, stand up for what I feel, express what I feel, and really take charge of my life. And that, that changed everything because things started working out for me better than I had imagined. I stopped painting the picture of myself that I wanted others to see. So let me share this with you, Christine. First of all, he made the decision long before he left. I know that doesn't feel good. I, I know it doesn't. But it does reveal something that there was a communication gap in, what, in your relationship because he should have said something before he left. But maybe you couldn't handle what he said. 
maybe he thought you couldn't handle what he had to say or how he felt. Maybe he didn't feel safe communicating that with you because you might get angry or upset or cry. I mean, maybe there was some sort of communication issue where he just knew that it would go wrong no matter what he said. That doesn't give him leeway. I'm not giving him any leverage here because he still did the the wrong thing. He should have spoken up no matter how you reacted. He should have spoken up. At the same time, if you aren't the type of person that speaks up, you need to. You need to embrace some of that masculine energy that you have inside of you and take charge and take action for yourself so that you always know what's going on. I'll never give my girlfriend a break. (laughs) If she hides something or she feels like, or I can tell that she's uh, not telling me something, I'll say, what's going on? And if she says, I need time, then of course, I'll give her space, I'll give her time. But if she says, nothing, I'll be like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh, tell me what's going on because the last time you did this, you were silent for three weeks. I And then what was happening, you finally expressed. And she goes, you're right. <laughs> so I like to know. I hate non-closure. I hate open loops, what I call open loops, where you don't know what's happening in the other person. You don't know the whole truth. And sometimes you can't get the whole truth. Sometimes they won't tell you. So that's the first thing is that this stuff was probably building inside of him and he just wasn't sharing it. And that's not right. Things, these things need to be shared no matter what the cost because it will always end up the way it ended up anyway. If it's not shared, then people are going to be more hurt later on. That's just not a good way to do it. Not a good way to communicate because there's basically no communication. Again, I don't know if that's exactly what happened to you, but I'm just taking a guess. The second thing I want to talk about is uh, your search for someone else, your search for a man, for a family. How should you approach this? What should you do when you're looking for someone to fulfill those needs in you? I mean, there you can still have needs. I'm not saying that you have to get rid of all your needs. And I mean, sex is a need. You can still have those needs. And love and companionship it can be a need, and that's fine. There are certain healthy ways to go about doing that. So let's talk about that next and what steps that I can recommend you do to get in a healthier place in yourself so that when the next relationship happens, not if, when it does, because it will, because you're a catch, (laughs) it will go a lot better than the last one. We'll be right back. Let me tell you about the TOB patron program. If you go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash member, you'll see a program in there called the TOB patron program. And what it is, is a place where you'll get incentives that you won't find anywhere else. They're the overwhelmed brain incentives. (laughs) Now, what those are, are private members only episodes. You'll get all the previous and upcoming deeper learning worksheets. You'll get access to priority email support. 
Um, and you can join in the group video chats and group video coaching that uh, we have some really cool ones coming up. And there's a lot more to come. So even at the what I call the bronze level, and I, I still can't stand that name, <laughs> bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. But even at the bronze level, for $3 a month, you get the uh, private members-only episodes. For example, one of the recent ones I just talked about has to do with something we're talking about in this very episode, which is the breakup. You know, what needs to happen in the breakup? And I don't really talk about it here in this episode today, but in the members episode, I talked about what needs to happen in you and what needs to happen in the other person after the breakup, especially if there's a chance for reconciliation. And there's some specific steps that I outline in there that if you don't go through them and you get back together, the relationship may still be doomed if these specific steps don't happen. Here's a clip from that episode right now. You have the person in your life that has made it a struggle to be in the relationship, then you don't know what you need to do to heal because they're always there. So the reason I'm saying this is that if you're in a relationship now that is uh, having trouble, is dysfunctional, is abusive, or any number of things that just doesn't feel right, or maybe you just feel bad or in pain, you're in any type of relationship where you're unhappy more often than not, then separation is a really good idea. <laughs> it's, it's weird to say that because I don't want you to separate. I don't want So that was one of the private episodes that are going on in there. We're about eight or nine episodes deep right now. And I'm adding them at least every week so far. I'm adding one or two a week. So I hope to see you over there. It's absolutely affordable. And you get more of the overwhelmed brain. And, of course, because it's called the patron program, you are supporting the show. You're giving back. So now it's not just a, an empty donation. <laughs> you actually donate $3 a month or more and get back. So, you know, it takes me more time to create these other episodes, but I do it because I want to connect with you in other ways and also give you an opportunity to connect with me in a way that maybe is more accessible to you. So I hope to see you over there. Go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash member and I'll see you on the inside. All right, we're back. We're going to finish up Christine's email here and then uh, end the show. You know, one of the things I wanted to reiterate, Christine, is that you are a catch. <laughs> I don't just say that, but everything you described in your letter, I'm like, wow, <laughs> who wouldn't want that? But what happens with some people that are this enticing like yourself is that sometimes you find romantic partners that are takers. You are a giver and you find a taker and sometimes that doesn't work out. I'm not saying this is what happened in your relationship, but I just want you to be aware that there are men in the world, I mean, you're seeking a man, that will be very happy to be a taker and not reciprocate. And that's going to burn you out. So I don't mean to say that to scare you. I just want you to understand that it's something to be aware of because it's in your nature to be, to have this open heart and to long for someone and you know that you want to take care of them. 
Sometimes there are people out there that take advantage of that, even unknowingly, because of how they're wired, because how, how they were conditioned growing up or how they were not so nurtured growing up. And they want that nurturing and they end up taking more than you feel comfortable giving. Not at first. Like I said, always at first, you actually like the needs and dependencies of each other. But those dependencies, they start to get old after a while. And then you start to see what it's going to be like for the rest of the time you're together. So this is just an awareness. If I were your parent (laughs) and you trusted my advice, I would say, find someone who knows how to take care of himself, is happy being independent and gets along with his family and gets along with his mom. (laughs) Because I'll never forget what my girlfriend said. She goes, I've learned that if you can find a guy who gets along with his family and especially his mom and treats her right, he usually treats his wife right. So I always thought that was a piece of interesting advice. Like, oh, interesting. Or even deeper, how do they treat other people? How do they treat the waitress or the waiter? How do they treat people outside the relationship? Because if they're always kind and nice and generous with you, but they're not kind and nice or respectful or generous with other people, it might be a flag. It might be something that you look at and go, whoa, is he ever going to do that to me? The answer is yes. Sorry to say, because this is what happens, is, is that the person's real personality comes out when they don't get their way or when they have some excessive need that they want to fulfill. They will maybe bowl people over or be rude with people or disrespectful. If you see that behavior uh, more often than not in the way someone treats other people, that will eventually fall on you too. And there's probably people listening now that have been married a long time and go, oh yeah, that's him. (laughs) That's my Harvey. (laughs) Or that's my Linda or, you know, I'm not naming anyone specific. I'm just making up names here. But that can happen. That can happen is that you uh, fall in love with somebody who treats other people like crap and uh, eventually they'll treat you like that too because it's in them. It's wired into them or programmed or it's in them to do that, which means it will come out in your relationship. So that's just, again, just an awareness. So I want to talk about two things before we end the show here and before I'm finished with your email. One of them is uh, what you said. I don't feel lovable. I don't feel wanted. And I get that. I, I get that because what you're doing is seeking that love and that feeling of significance from someone else. And, you know, that's natural because we looked for that when we were kids. We wanted to feel loved. We wanted to know that we were worthy in our parents' eyes. And having that in our life does sometimes take one-on-one counseling or coaching. It does sometimes take someone else to help us get to a place of feeling that love and worth inside of us. I have a couple episodes on, you know, self-love, self-compassion, self-worth. That would certainly help. So I would definitely look those up. But right now I want to say that in order to get this from anyone else, and this is going to sound cliche, you have to give it to yourself first. And what that means is that in order to feel compassion from someone else, 
you have to be compassionate towards yourself. In order to feel love from someone else, you have to feel love for yourself. Again, that's sort of cliche. So let's talk about how you do that. Like one of the things that I like to teach is when you honor your boundaries, you are being self-loving. You are being self-compassionate. You are standing up for yourself. You're doing what a parent would do for you. That is one component of what a parent would do for you. Think about what a healthy, loving, nurturing mom and dad would do for you. I mean, think about that just for a minute. I'll give you some silence. All right, I can't be too silent for too long here. (laughs) But you understand, you could pause this and think about it. What does a, a loving mom and dad, what do they give to the child? How do they nurture you as a child? I mean, we really think about that. What would they do? What could your parents have done differently? What if you had different parents that were completely normal, whatever that word means, completely functional, completely loving and nurturing and supportive? What would they do? And what would they do differently that you didn't get when you were a kid? How would that be? How, how could you envision that? How could you imagine that? What's that like? Because the more you think about that, the more you imagine it, the more it's happening as you think about it. Remember, what you imagine, you can feel. Now, one of the things I teach is to imagine yourself as a child, but visiting yourself as the adult you are today. And when did that child need you most? And what point in her life, Christine, did your younger self need you most? And visit her as the adult you are today and give her what you need as if you were the healthy, nurturing parent to that child. Like I I picture myself visiting my younger self. And I've talked about this on the show before where I was getting some abuse at four years old. And um, there I was, watching myself getting abused and then holding that younger child and telling him that it's all right. I'm here for you. I know you're going through some pain right now, but know that you are loved and that you are worthy and that I love you so much and you're going to be great. And you know what? Some people are just mean. And it's just something that we have to learn. And, and, some, and sometimes we have to suffer because of it. I know it's not good to suffer, but I want you to know that I'm going to be with you every step of the way through this life. I'm going to be with you there always, every step of the way. That's one example of um, nurturing yourself. Because when you imagine it, it really does happen. I mean... Your neurons are firing and your reality is being created inside your head, even if it's not in your environment. And all that means is that when you have those feelings and you create those scenarios in your mind, visiting yourself, when you need yourself most, it really changes things. It changes your outlook and your perspective of life. Because here's what's happening, Christine, is that your perspective of life and relationships is really coming from a child's brain. 
And I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, or I don't mean to put you down in any way. But there's a child's perspective of the world that you have because some needs weren't fulfilled as that child. And even you said, you know, maybe I'm bringing some of the stuff from the past into today. And it's true because you would be okay being single if you didn't have some pain from the past. Now, I know that's a a sweeping, broad generalization. I don't mean to do that because relationships are what most of us want. We all want to be in a healthy, happy, wonderful, rewarding relationship. But the old cliche goes, the best relationship you can have is with yourself first. And there's so much truth to that, that maybe you don't even realize it. And what does that mean? You do things for yourself as if you were your own best friend, as if you were your own parent. You take yourself out for ice cream and enjoy (laughs) that time with yourself. Enjoy that companionship with yourself. And another thing is that you do things without expectation of meeting other people. This is one thing that gets uh, a lot of people, including myself for many years, is that I always went out expecting or hoping to meet someone. And I would always be like, oh, I wonder if she's available. Or if she's a nice girl, I wonder if she's available. And should I ask? And then I would be too afraid to ask anything. And when I did, I would make a fool of myself because I was so desperate. It's kind of like that person who's really desperate for money, so they want to make a commission off you, so they'll sell you things that you don't even need just to make their profit. And you don't like pushy salesmen like that. I mean, they can be pushy. You don't like salesmen like that because it's not an authentic sale. You don't really need what they're selling. Well, you might, but they're still selling it from a, a not-so-good feeling place. And this is what happens when you're out there seeking uh, other people, is that when you're desperately seeking or when you're actively seeking and you're wondering, is that him? Is that him? You kind of have a skewed sense of reality and you're really putting that vibe out there. You have that vibe of, is that you? I wonder if he's going to talk to me. And it's a lot of pressure on yourself and it sometimes can give off the wrong signals and you can attract the wrong types of people into your life when you do that. So it's a good idea to Just say, no, I'm going to be okay being single. That doesn't mean you're going to stay single. It just means coming to an acceptance that it's okay to be single. Why? So you lose the vibe. So you lose the idea that it's bad to be single and you lose the idea of seeking the next person to fulfill a role in your life. Because when you carry that idea with you, then desperation leads to dysfunction, leads to bad decisions or not-so-healthy decisions because you want to make that sale. You need to make that profitable sale, like that salesperson who's broke and needs the commission, so it's going to sell you anything to make that profit. That's the kind of vibe you put out there when you're desperately seeking someone else. Oh, my, oh no, my time's running up. I want another child. and I want a, I want a family. The more desperate you are, the more you put that out into the world, the less chance you actually create a healthy relationship for yourself. And the odd way it works is that when you let that go and go, you know what? I'm okay being single, damn it. That's fine. I'm okay with it. In fact, 
I'm going to stop looking purposefully. When you put that vibe out there, suddenly things change. I don't know how it works. <laughs> things change. I did this. When I stopped looking, she found me. When I stopped being desperate, they found me. And that doesn't mean that they sought me out. That just means an opportunity arose and someone was there. And suddenly I was talking to them. And suddenly things clicked. It was weird. Why did they click? Because I wasn't desperate. Because the person I really want in my life is someone who's not going to fulfill a desperate need in me. They're going to share life with me. They're not going to be there to have all this pressure of being someone that fills a void in me. And I know, I know this void. I've, I've felt it. And you don't want it. I know that. That's why it's so important to nourish and nurture yourself so that someone else doesn't have to feel pressured to take on that role. Because here's what happens when you do. When you bring your healthiest self into a relationship, you're going to attract healthy people. It's just how it works. Like I said, I don't know how. <laughs> There's some energy that just pushed out into the universe, but people around you respond to it. I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm single, and someone comes along and you're like, whoa, where did this person come from? But it really does involve an acceptance and a knowing that you are going to be okay being single. Because once that happens, then you're not out there in a desperate way. So on top of that, it's not just doing that. On top of that, do, with my, do what my girlfriend did and do what a lot of other people do is write down the qualifications and criteria of your ideal mate. Just write them down. Make sure you don't name this person like, I must have Bill. You don't, you don't want to put someone's name on it. You just want to go, whoever I end up with, this is what I want in that person. Write them down and be as specific as possible. I want him to make $100,000 a year. I want him to be tall, brown hair, brown eyes, or whatever comes to your, your thought process. I want this type of personality. I want him to treat me like this. Um, I want him to love my daughter. Have all these criteria and be very specific. And then what will happen is that you get very focused. And again, I don't know how this works either, but I've seen this. And one of my clients told me this, is that she started... Um, writing down exactly what she needed to get done in her life on these sticky notes. <laughs> and suddenly she was getting phone calls out of nowhere. That's such impractical logic to me that I don't know how that works, but it works. The only practical advice I can give you there is that when you're clear, when you're focused, and when you know exactly what you want, it's like you're telling the universe, I'm ready for it. Now, when my girlfriend did this, it took her a few years to get exactly what she wanted. But the reason was because she discerned and evaluated as she went. She would meet someone. She would date them. She would evaluate them and compare them to her list and go, well, this isn't exactly the person that I want. So I know this isn't going to be long term. Or she would even just say no to people that didn't meet some of that criteria. It was honoring herself. It was loving herself. It was being compassionate towards herself. Instead of just falling for the next guy and hoping everything worked out. She stayed aware. 
She stayed acutely aware of their personality and their behavior, and then she also found out who they really were, <laughs> which is quite revealing. When she said no to them, well, you really find out who someone is、uh, when you say no to them, or when you deny them something. Because if they lose it, oh boy, there's something you don't want that in your life. But if they're like, oh, if that's what you want, okay, I'm I'm totally cool with that, and they back off, wow, there's something respectable. There's something that might work for you. Great. A good example of that is when I met the girl I'm with now. We've been together for two years now. <laughs> been together a good while, and、uh, when we met, I was in New Hampshire and she was in Georgia. And、um, we were on an online dating service, and I'm going to actually tell you what that service was because I really liked it. It's not something I normally do, but I'm going to promote it on the show. Not, they're not paying me, and I don't guarantee any results, but it really worked for me. So I'll tell you that in a second. But we were on the service, and、um, she reached out to me, and I reached back to her, and we were talking. And、uh, if you've heard me talk about it before, we weren't interested in dating, or at least I wasn't interested in dating anyone. I was done. I I was freshly divorced a while back, and I still had、uh, pain to deal with. And、uh, I made the realization that I'm not ready to date. What am I doing on this site? But the day before I got off the site, she reached out to me and she goes, "Hey, I like your profile. I want to talk business." And she really did. She wanted to talk business. So I got in touch with her and I said, "Look, I'm I'm freshly divorced. I'm in pain. I'm living with family. And、uh, you know, if you still want to talk to me, great." <laughs> I was just really bluntly honest. And she laughed, and she was like, "Wow, that's honest, and that's unusual <laughs> for these dating sites to, for someone to be so honest." But I wasn't looking to impress, and that's important. When you're not looking to impress someone, then you can come across as your authentic self. And when they still want you after you're showing your authentic self, then you've got someone that might be pretty special. And like I said, I came across as my authentic self. I wasn't gonna、uh, sugarcoat anything, and I just told her where I was at, and、I'm, I was still wounded from a divorce, and I didn't want to date. And she loved it because now I'm safe. I'm a safe person. But you know, a couple months into it,、um, we ended up talking a lot, and it was all friendship stuff, and we would just share everything going on in our life, and it was truly authentic, and it was a wonderful thing to look forward to every day. It was either on chat or on the phone, and we would just. Talk for hours sometimes, and I still had the thought that I wasn't going to date this person. I would ask her about her dates, how's it going in her life, and she would tell me, and everything was great. But then one day she said, "You know, if you were down here, we could go on a date and see what would happen. Maybe there's some compatibility here." And I paused, <laughs> and I was like, "Wait a minute! I thought we agreed that we're not going to date." And she goes, well, no, I don't mean that we have to date. It would just be interesting. We have so much in common. And for the first time, I thought, huh, could I date? Am I ready to date? Because by then I had done some healing, and、um, I was over quite a lot of of my stuff, not all of it, 
but at least from the marriage, the, the pain from the separation, the pain from the divorce, I had gone through a lot of healing. But at that point, I just wanted to stay single. I mean, this is where my acceptance was like, I'm going to be single. I want to stay single. I want to figure out what being single is like. So I just decided to stay single. And then she threw that at me. I mean, I was at a total acceptance of being single. And suddenly this happened. This is what happens <laughs> when you're at a total acceptance of being single and you're just happy within yourself. Other people like that about you. And she liked that about me. She liked my independence, the, the fact that I wasn't trying to get her to date me. She liked all of this stuff about me. And especially the fact that I wasn't trying to impress her at all. I was just being myself. She loved it. And so when she said that, I first, for the first time, considered what it would be like to date her. And then we started talking about deeper subjects and things that about our future that if we were together, what would it be like? And so we started really connecting and it did become a relationship. It was a long distance relationship, but it did become a relationship. At least in my mind, I was starting to have some feelings for her and starting to think about her more often. And then she said one day, well, I'm going on a date tomorrow. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean you're going on a date? I thought we agreed that this was going to be something that we're going to look at and see where it goes. And she was like, huh? <laughs> and she said, well, yeah, I still want to see where this goes, but I'm not going to close the door on any other possibilities. I mean, you're in New Hampshire, I'm in Georgia, and I could meet someone down here that's the perfect guy. And she was brutally honest. <laughs> and I was like, what? I, I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't like this. And I started getting some other feelings. And I, I felt kind of bad. I thought we were starting to develop something here. And she goes, no, I, I don't know if you're going to be the one. I mean, what if we keep going for months and months and you're not the one? I was like, oh, I don't like the way this feels. I was... I thought this was kind of exclusive. And and so after that, um, I don't know how long. It was like an hour or two, I think. I don't know if I called her back and or chatted her. I think it was a phone call. We talked about it again. And I was like, you know what? I'm being ridiculous. <laughs> I said, you're right. You're absolutely right. Why am I going to prevent you from finding someone that might be perfect for you? I mean, I really had to step into a role that I was, I've never stepped into. And that role was honoring her, honoring herself. You've heard me talk about that, right? Honoring her, honoring herself. Because she was honoring herself. She still was looking for someone to spend her life with. I mean, she was serious. She really wanted a relationship. And I was just kind of a distant fantasy, a thousand miles away. She still wanted that relationship. So I, I said, you know, I am being ridiculous and I shouldn't talk you out of that. Of course, uh, of course you should go on a date and figure things out for yourself. That makes perfect sense. I don't know why I didn't say that before. I think I was just like, oh no, there's a chance of losing her. But did I want to control her decision? Did I want to convince her that I was the best choice that she had? And I thought, no. If I have to convince someone that I'm their best choice, then I'm probably not their best choice. <laughs> and uh, I, I came to a new realization at that point and said, 
this is not a good way to start a relationship where I need to convince them that I'm going to be the best person out there for them. Or my insecurity kicks in and, and I think, oh my God, if they find someone better than me, then I have no chance. But the reality is if they find someone better than me, then I never did have a chance. Because even if we were together, they still would have been not completely fulfilled and they still would be wondering if their decision was the right one, especially because I might have convinced them to stay with me or convinced them not to go out with anyone else. That's what I told her. I was like, I was being silly. That's stupid. Of course you should go out and of course you should date because you need to know who I am compared to other people. And I I couldn't believe those words slipped out of my mouth. (laughs) You need to compare me to other guys to make sure I'm the right one. You know how hard that was? But I did it because I knew that I had to be comfortable in myself. I had to be happy in myself to be single. And I tell you what, doing that freed her to not feel controlled. Doing that freed her to be self-empowered, to make decisions that are right for her. And I let it go. And I just knew that, hey, if she found someone else that was better for her and in, in that vicinity, in that proximity where she is in Georgia, great, then it was meant to be. So... I just have to trust that whatever blossoms from this needs to blossom. Well, what happened is the very next day she called me and she said, I am off the dating site. I signed off and I, and I closed my account. <laughs> it's like, what happened? <laughs> Yesterday you were like, I still need to date and I still need to do this. And you're not the only fish in the sea. What happened? And she says, well, when you said that, when you said, Of course you need to go out there and and see if there are other people. I felt free. I felt like you weren't controlling me. I felt like you were letting me make my own decisions. And because of that, I didn't feel like dating anyone else. I feel like seeing where this goes with you. And I was like, what? I, I really thought that by letting her go out on other dates that I could definitely be canceled as a possibility. But by letting that go and just letting her be herself, letting her be who she needed to be so that she could be convinced in her own mind where I had no influence whatsoever. I thought by doing that, maybe I would probably lose her. But what happened is that I gained her. I I mean, that's not the right way to say it, but I, I gained her trust and she felt safe with me. And she knew that I wouldn't be the type of person later on that tried to take control of her in any way. I mean, she didn't have all those answers, but that put her one step closer to me than I was before. And she canceled her account. And from that point on, we we did connect and it did work out. But the reason I tell you that is, is twofold. One, I want to tell you about the dating site that we used. And I've never said this on the air and I'll probably never say it again. So if you're listening to this show and you're single and and you want my recommendation for a dating site, we both were on something called OkCupid. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's free. And it was great because there's like, I don't know, a thousand questions that you can choose to answer or not. But the more you answer, the more you find compatibility with other people. I am totally telling you this for free. OkCupid has no idea <laughs> that I'm talking about them right now. I'm just telling you because I think it's a great resource. And 
If you are single or you're looking for someone, then check them out. I cannot guarantee that you'll find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, but I can say that I had a good experience on there. I think it's called the letters OKCupid.com. I'm not even going to look them up because I don't have to go to that site anymore, but I think that's the site name. So check that out if you want. And um, also, when you're on any dating site, I've been on a few dating sites, what I've found more often than not, especially with the guys, is their profile doesn't always mean that's who they are. You probably already know this. But someone's profile is, this is how I want you to see me. Sometimes that's how it works. This is how I want you to see me. Which is why it's important to not fall in love with the profile, but just use it as a door that you crack open and start to talk with them in some way. And I'm going to give you practical advice from your virtual dad. (laughs) If the other person gets at all pushy and says, hey, let's meet, let's meet right away, be wary. It doesn't mean that they're a bad person. I mean, maybe you both connect really quick and you do want to meet as long as the feeling is mutual right away. But just be aware. I met a lot of good people on this site, but it doesn't mean that they're all good people. You just have to be aware and always meet in a public place. Don't meet at someone's house. Just meet in some place public and just get to know them. Just develop a friendship with them. Don't look at it as if you are looking for someone to be with for the rest of your life. Just go on there and be friendly with people. Talk to people and have your walls up so that no one can just get through and manipulate you or convince you that you need to see them. should never take convincing. When my girlfriend and I were first chatting, we just talked as friends and dating never came up for a long time. Now, I know it's a dating site and yes, if you're local, you can go out and meet and talk together. But give it time. Find out how patient they are. Find out how serious they are. Just give it time. Let a friendship develop. And be aware that someone is so perfect that they're never angry. That they always say the right things and they always agree with you with everything. That's a flag. (laughs) I hate to say it because you might find someone that agrees with with you on everything. But just know that it's a flag. They're agreeing with you on everything. They're never angry at anything. They're super polite about everything and they, they're always optimistic. What's being in the, what's in the background there? Do you ever get angry? You just want to be aware and not be in a desperate state of, I hope this works. I hope this works. Because when you're in that state, you're kind of blind to the flags and blind to the signals. So check out that site if you want. Again, I'm not responsible for what happens and who you find and that's it's really up to you. You just have to be aware. But that's where my girlfriend and I met. And I just wanted to tell you in case you want to check it out. Now, the last thing I want to address with you, Christine, is something you sent at the end of your letter. I feel that all of my friends have something that I never will. Boy, that'll get you every time. As soon as you start comparing yourself to other people, you're going to be disappointed over and over and over again because there'll always be people that are happier than you. (laughs) That's just it. There's always going to be people that are happier than you and there's always going to be people that are more miserable than you. 
I'll tell you what, compare yourself to miserable people and you'll feel better. I mean, that's the bottom line. Compare yourself to miserable people. I know it's not that easy. My girlfriend compared herself when after she was divorced and she was quite hurt from that divorce and uh, many years went by and she was still not in the relationship of her dreams or even a relationship that was any that was worth keeping for the rest of her life. She started comparing herself, her status in life with all her friends that just got married and now they're starting to have kids just like yourself. She just started comparing herself to that and found that she became more and more miserable. It wasn't until years later that she remembered herself doing that and seeing that, oh, half her friends have already gotten divorced. Another portion of her friends were in miserable relationships and a small portion were still happy. So all this comparison that she did at first didn't take into account that they weren't all perfect relationships. So I want you to realize that when you compare yourself to others, what you're doing is painting a perfect picture of other people and thinking that everything is great and wonderful, which in contrast makes your life look terrible. The comparison game is not fun because you will always find something or someone to compare your life to that makes you feel worse. So start comparing to people that don't have it as good as you that may not have the family that you have, that may not have had any love ever in their life. I know people who have never dated anyone or can't date people because of certain disabilities that they have or the certain condition that they're in. I know people that are like that. When I went through a period of feeling like I was a loser at business and I didn't have any business sense and I started comparing to all my friends who were making a lot of money. I felt worse and worse and worse. And then I started comparing myself to people who make less than I do. And I felt better. And then I thought about them looking up at me going, wow, I wish I was like that. I think about people now. Like I've had this show for three years. They probably look at me and go, wow, you've, you've done so much. You've had this popular show and you get tens of thousands of listeners. And I go, yeah, but. I started off with nothing. I started off where I had to build this. So that's my last piece of advice to you is that um, when you compare yourself, you're always going to lose. You're always going to lose. And nobody has the perfect life. Nobody has the perfect friendship. And I bet you some of your friends, maybe one or two, are looking at you going, wow, she's so lucky she's single. <laughs> I know that doesn't feel very good because you're going through some stuff now. But I hope this show has helped. And certainly reach out to me if you want to talk about this one-on-one. -on -one. You can get through this. I want you to keep listening or reach out to me or do what you have to do to start feeling better in yourself so that you can bring a healthy you into your next relationship, which will absolutely happen. You just have to accept that it's okay to be single because when you accept that, then doors open that you didn't see before. And that's what I want for you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning into this show today. And we'll connect again soon. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. 
thank you, Asha, with GetOutOfTheMess.com. Tell you what, if you want peace of mind, knowing that you can just call an attorney to ask almost any question, anytime, for just $20 a month, contact Asha with Get Out of the Mess. She will connect you with the freedom to be comfortable no matter what life sends your way. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, visit GetOutOfTheMess.com or call 678-355-8777 and talk with Asha today. And are you in the TOB patron program yet? And if not, why not? I know, I know. I don't want to put a monthly charge on my credit card. (laughs) I'm the same way with a lot of stuff. But I want to connect with you over there because I have different episodes that I about stuff that I don't talk about over here. You heard an excerpt of one today. And I've got some very interesting mini classes coming up in these little episodes that offer things that you just won't hear on the regular show. So come over to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash member and become a member of the patron program today. I hope to see you over there. It's only a few dollars a month, but I promise to deliver 10 times that amount. And whether you're a patron or not, I want to thank you if you've purchased a book or a worksheet or or especially use the Amazon link on the website. The Amazon link is the easiest way to give back. So if you've been listening for months or years or decades well we're not there yet but use the amazon link every time you shop your shopping habits are making a difference so thank you and finally thank you to kevin mcleod of incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain so i got an email recently um it was from one of the platinum members of the patron club so thank you for that email and he's like you know some of your episodes are getting really long (laughs) Yes, I agree. They are getting very long. He's like, I like when they're about 45 minutes. And I was like, yes, I would love that. (laughs) It would save me so much time. So my, my goal is always to keep them shorter. And I apologize if you're listening to this and you're going, oh, it's still going on. It's still going on. But fortunately with a podcast, you can pause it anytime you want. But there's unnatural places to pause it at, especially if you're at the hour and a half mark and you're like geez you're still talking about the same thing (laughs) well i'm gonna try to keep these episodes shorter but um sometimes it'll happen sometimes it won't this uh, letter was very loaded today and i obviously had a lot to say about it so i apologize for keeping you this long but if you are still listening i also thank you i mean unless your commute is like a two-hour commute you probably don't have time to listen to things this long Or if you do, maybe you have a job that you can listen to it for as long as it takes. Or maybe you're going around the house and doing laundry. Or maybe you're at the pool. I don't know. But I'm I'm very grateful for you if you're still listening. Even past all these credits. (laughs) Even, you know, when the credits end at a movie. And sometimes there's like that secret Easter egg at the end of the credits. And you're like, oh, there's a little plot twist at the end of the credits. I think X-Men did that. It was like one of their movies you saw, what's his name, Charles? The guy in the wheelchair, where he appeared in someone else's body. And I was like, whoa, that was at the end of the credits? No way. (laughs) It was very cool. So I'm fortunate that you're still here listening past those credits. And that means a lot to me. I'm grateful for you. And I thank you. And the person in the patron program that wrote and said, yes, I like the 45 minutes because I just kind of start to get scattered after 45 minutes. I'm with you. So I'm going to do my best to try to wrap it up 
But as many times as I say that, it usually doesn't work out that way. But sometimes you're going to get a two-part episode. Is this going to be a two-part episode? I don't know. <laughs> right now I'm looking at the recording mark of how much recording I did today. And it's over two hours long. So it's like, is this going to be a two-hour episode? And I have to realize there are long pauses in between that get edited out that really take up a big chunk of time. And every now and then, there'll be a tangent that I go off on that gets deleted out. Then I'll just go into the patron site and make another episode on that tangent to talk about what I really wanted to keep in the show. But uh, I just do it for the members over there. So that, that kind of gives me an outlet over there to continue adding as much value as I can and also as much content about the subject that I'm talking about. Because imagine if your problems could be solved in a particular episode, but you didn't hear exactly what you needed to hear. That's where I try to fill in the gaps over at the patron site. But I don't want to make the end about the patron program again. I already mentioned it. But I do want to say that if you're in a relationship where you have any type of communication struggle, I want you to figure out why. I mean, just think about it. Why am I struggling communicating with my partner? What? Can, why can't I get this across? Or why can't we seem to meet in the middle somehow? And the first thing I'd like you to do is just realize who's got the more masculine energy and who's got the more feminine energy. And how are they in the right place? Typically in a heterosexual relationship, the masculine energy works better with the man and the feminine energy works better with the woman. They just feel more natural. In a uh, homosexual relationship, whatever feels more natural to you, you can adopt, you can embrace. And when you are with someone who is the opposite aspect, if you feel more feminine and the other person is more masculine and you're comfortable in those roles, that's great. That usually works out best. If you're both feminine or you're both masculine, more times than not, it doesn't work out the greatest. There's not that give and take, that yin-yang. There's just something about those roles that complement each other. Same goes for dysfunctions. What dysfunctions are in I mean, that's your question to yourself. What dysfunctions are in me that my partner compliments? That's not always a good thing. <laughs> but if I'm a giver and a lover and I want to nurture the other person and love them and they're a taker and they love receiving it and the more they receive it, the better it makes you feel. But they're not really reciprocating. Both of you have something to work on there. Because when you're giving and giving and giving and not receiving, but you still give, that's sort of dysfunctional. And when you're taking and loving what you're taking and enjoying it, but you're selfish and you're not giving back, that's something to work on. That's a little bit dysfunctional. So it's an interesting place to, to explore in your relationship to figure out what is complementing what here. And it does take some conscious effort because a lot of this stuff is unconscious. What's going on in me? And if you've been listening to the show a while, you probably know what's going on in you. You probably have figured out, oh, I do that. Oh, and when I do that, my partner does that. Your dysfunctions feed off each other. And as you grow and heal into a new person or evolved or healthier person, then either your partner has to grow and evolve 
because the dysfunctions no longer feed off each other, because one of you becomes less dysfunctional, either your partner has to grow and evolve with that as well, or they stay the same and they have nothing left to feed off of. And they, they, they might not like the new person you're becoming, so they start to uh, distance themselves in ways. And when that happens, you can choose to stay the, who you were in that dysfunctional, not-so-healthy place, or you can keep growing and evolving and healing through your challenges in life so that your life gets better and your partners get better if you end up with another partner or not. You get healthier. And you hope that your partner gets healthier too, because if they don't, then they will keep you down, unfortunately. So that's what I want to leave you with. But not only that, because really what I want to leave you with is I want you to open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.